Good morning. I'm Dwayne Orledge, Connections Pastor. It's my privilege to be speaking today. Pastor Charlie lost his father last Sunday afternoon, and they have been in Houston this week. He did the funeral uh, late Friday afternoon, and he and his family are driving back even now. So you remember them in prayer as they're driving back from Houston. Last week, Pastor Charlie began the series, Grace Poured Out. And I want to continue that series this week. Last week, he spoke about accepting God's grace. This week, we want to talk about walking in God's grace. Because once we accept God's grace, that is, once we've been born again, once we give our life to Jesus Christ, and we become His child, then we still need to know how to walk in that grace. And so that's what this week's sermon is about, walking in God's grace. There was an older monk who was assigned a young apprentice. They both had duties in a nearby village one day, and so they decided they would walk together into the village. It's quite a long walk, so they walked, they they did their duties, they spent the night there, and then the next morning they met at the appointed time to journey back to the abbey. As they were going back, the younger apprentice continued to lag behind, further, further behind. The older monk just let him do what he wanted instead of engaging him along the road. When he got to the gate, he just stopped and waited. When the young man caught up with him, he said, I've been watching you all morning. There's obviously something troubling you. What's wrong? And the young man said, I can't enter this gate with you. Last night I sinned, I broke the vows I made to God and to the other brothers, and I can't go back inside this gate. The older monk put his arm around him and said, indeed you can. We will walk through this gate together. We will go into the cathedral together. We will kneel before God, and then we will both confess your sin aloud to God. Anyone listening besides God Almighty will never know who committed the sin. Listen, that older monk understood not only grace. He didn't take sin lightly. He took sin seriously. But he understood grace. And he understood how to help someone else walk in grace. There's a story in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 5. It's where we're going to look at it in just a moment, so if you turn there. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It's also in Matthew and in Mark, but we're going to begin in the Gospel of Luke to look at this story. There were some men. I mean, there was a man who had four friends who understood the grace of bringing someone else to Jesus Christ. We're going to read this together, and then we'll learn some lessons from it this weekend, some valuable lessons that we all need to keep and know. In Luke 5, verse 17, on one of those days as he was teaching, this is as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed 
through the, through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Gospel of Matthew records this and says, <clears throat> Jesus said to the man, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. We'll unpack that a little more later. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, notice they were saying these things among themselves. Jesus didn't have to hear what they said to know what they said. When he perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise and pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Now that, that's always funny to me right there. Because it sounds like they just kind of looked at each other casually and says, my, my, we've seen some extraordinary things today, haven't we? I think what they were saying to each other is, did you see that? When Jesus said, get up, the man, we, we've known this guy for 20 years. He just got up and walked. So I think the, the scripture, it's kind of an understatement here that I find pretty amusing because I think... They had to be more excited than what just those words say because it says amazement seized them. One of the, one of the other uh, gospels says they were afraid because God gave this kind of authority to any man. So it was a pretty astounding thing. These guys, these four guys, brought their friend who was paralyzed. He was paralyzed in his sin. Now, <clears throat> He was paralyzed because of sin in his life. We, we believe this because Jesus healed. He forgave him of his sins before he healed him. Now, there are healings in the Bible, and there's sickness in the Bible, where Jesus heals someone, and he, he says it's, it, it was because of their sin in their life. There are other times where he heals people, and it's clear it was not because of sin in their life, but it was just because of sickness in all of life ever since the, our, our Adam and Eve in our fallen world. So, back to the story. Anyway, they take this man to church. Uh, Jesus was there. He was teaching. There were a lot of people there. That was church, all right? They were in a home, a house. But they couldn't get in because of all the people. They lowered him through the roof, right to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus forgives him and heals him. That's a picture of grace. This man didn't deserve it. We don't even have a record that the man even asked for the healing. I think some people don't go to church or they don't move back toward God because they've moved away from God and, and they're not sure they have the courage to even start walking back toward God. And many people don't have a friend in their lives who has the courage or the spiritual backbone to put their arm around them like the old monk and say, oh no, we're going to walk back toward God together because that's what you most need in your life. And like this man who was literally carried to Jesus, 
people carry some heavy stuff to church. Every week here at Fellowship of the Rockies, people carry heavy stuff in here. This weekend, I want us to learn from this passage of Scripture just three things. Three simple things that will help us walk in grace. The first one is this. When I walk in grace, I will not reject any person who's accepted by God. I will not reject any person who is accepted by God. See, this man had people who cared for him. They wanted him to come to Christ. They were true friends. Look at it in verse 18. It says, Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now, here's the kind of thing I think happened. Everybody had arrived at church early. They all found their seat, 12th row, two seats in, or wherever your seat is. You know what it's like when you come to church. You choose the seat you're going to be in, and you're ticked if somebody got there and got it before you get there. They were all there. They had their seats. And these guys had the audacity to come in dragging this guy on a mat, holding the four corners of it, I think, and dragging him in, saying, excuse me, excuse me, could I have your seat? Could I have your seat? Could I get through here? They couldn't get through. And so, I I think there's something drastically wrong. When we won't let somebody come to Jesus. Now listen, this speaks to one of the core values that this church has been built on for over, or not over, but nearly 20 years. We have four core values. High view of Scripture. High view of worship, those speak to our, uh, between us and God, mostly. Then we have two more. Acceptance, as God accepts people, that speak to us accepting each other. Transformation, that speaks to us telling people that Jesus Christ will transform you. See, we accept people where they are, but we tell them they can be transformed. Now, more about transformation in a minute. But Right here in this passage of Scripture is one of the things that Fellowship of the Rockies has been built on for nearly 20 years. We accept people where they are. Now, I think the church for years has struggled with this thing of, what do we do with people who are really sinners? Do we accept them? Do we welcome them in with open arms? Because as Christians, we have this dilemma. You see, the Bible teaches us that we are to run from sin, that we are to avoid sin because it hurts us. Beyond that, more importantly, it doesn't bring glory to God. And so God in His grace, when He comes in, He gives us the ability to move away from sin, to avoid sin, to resist temptation. And so we get confused And we think that we're supposed to reject people who are sinning. But distancing ourselves from sin doesn't mean we we should reject people and not accept people who sin. Because if we do that, then what we end up doing is becoming kind of legalistic. And we start not accepting people who don't sin the same sins we sin, right? Because, after all, we want everybody to be pretty understanding of the sins that we sin. But those sins that you sin, 
Those are pretty bad sins. And so we end up becoming pretty legalistic. That's not a picture of the church in, in the Bible. So let we look at Jesus. He was with people who sinned. He was with sinners. And these men were bringing a sinner to Jesus. Now the story goes that there was a guy who sinned a lot and he was caught in some public sin and this church in this small town kicked him out of the church. They excommunicated him. And he was upset about it and he was in the, at home in his quiet time and he was praying to God and he said, God, they've kicked me out of the church. They won't even let me back in the church. And God said to him, what are you complaining about? They won't let me in either. <laughs> now, not every church is that way, but I think there are some that are that way. But on our weekend services, there are people who come in, like this man. They're being carried. They're hobbling. They're crawling. They're being wheeled in. I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. And some weekends, that's you. Some weekends, that could be me. Because we all have struggles, and, and we all need grace every day. But the pre their very presence in a worship service here, their very, very presence walking in the door signifies that they want to connect with God. And that is the thing that should excite us and cause us to accept every person and never reject a person. Guess what? Christians are coming in that way too because they don't believe a truth. They re re believe a lie from Satan or whatever. There's a myth in a lot of churches that says this. Once I'm converted, once I come to Jesus Christ, I'll never have a problem with sin ever again. Nothing can be further from the truth. God's grace covers that sin. God's grace walks us through that sin. But we don't become sinlessly perfect so we can look down our noses at anybody who would sin. Remember last week, Pastor Charlie said right from Scripture, it is grace upon grace. Grace that outlasts our sin. Grace that will always be there no matter how long we live. It's amazing grace. It's not amazing disgrace. Dr. Phil, in his book, Life Strategies, says this, and he's on target in this at least. In every church I've ever attended, now, he hasn't attended every church, and not every church is like this, but this is his experience, and it can happen. In every church I've ever attended, the people with real problems hid them rather than seeking support. And those who didn't hide them wished they had. After the doses of guilt, judgment, or alienation they received, we hide our problems and we judge those who don't or who can't hide theirs. It's not working, people. Not even close. And he's absolutely right to the point of, if that's what we're trying to do, it doesn't work. Pastor Rick Warren, Saddleback uh, Church in Southern California, says this, Most people probably know how bad they are. But they need to know how good they can become. In other words, when God's grace is poured out on them, what He can do, what God can do in them and through them, that's what they need to know. And from what I can tell of all of Scripture, once people brought their sins to Jesus, He cleansed them. He didn't condemn them ever. So when we walk in God's grace, we'll accept people right where they are. Then we'll walk with them into God's grace we will not reject them. Second thing we want to learn is this. When I walk in God's grace, I'll understand that grace is never from me to God. There's no part of grace that has anything to do with me giving something to God. But it is always from God 
to me. Grace is God-given, God-driven, God-originated, God-empowered. It's grace poured out from God Himself to you and to me. In this story, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. He did nothing, absolutely nothing to deserve that. Look in Romans 5, or look with me on the screens of Romans 5. And it gives a description of this spiritually for every one of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Look at, for the phrases. Look for the big words, the important words here. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. Hope here is not some pipe dream, but it's a trust in a reality that God has promised. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This scripture says we have peace. We have friendship with God. God drew us close to Himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. We gained access by faith, it says, into the grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. We, we have a new identity. A few weeks ago, I spoke about saints versus sinners. We, when we come to Christ, when we've been born again, He says we are saints. We're in the process of rehabilitation, but we are free. We have the power to trust Him, and He gives us the power to overcome sin. In Romans 8, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, the first verse of Romans chapter 8, says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who have been born again. I just like saying that. There's something about that that just gives me a sense of being set free. Say, that, say it with me. No condemnation. Say it. No condemnation. Doesn't that feel good? Most of us will say that and say, oh, I wish I could have that. You can. Scripture says you can. Verse 2 goes on to explain it even better. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Living by the law is sin and is death. December 18th, 1865, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America was passed, went into effect on that day. The next day, December 19th, Every, you would think, every slave in the United States of America was absolutely free. But it wasn't true. You know why? Two reasons. One, there were some ex-slave owners who still tried to act like slave owners who just suppressed the truth. Uh, with communications in those days, they just simply didn't tell their slaves. And so they continued to act like they were slaves. They kept them right where they were. That's like Satan. He's our ex-owner. And he whispers in our ear, God really wouldn't forgive you of that. You're not a very good Christian. You're a terrible parent. You're a terrible husband. You're a terrible wife. And you're, you're probably not a very good Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian at all. All kinds of things he whispers in our ears to, to suppress the truth. Another reason some of those weren't free on December 19th is because they refused to accept the truth. There were literally were some who said, I was born a slave, always been a slave, I'll always be a slave. I know Christians 
who act that way. They'll say, yes, I gave my life to Jesus. I know he paid the price for my sins, but I'll never be able to do any better than I'm doing today. Listen, that's not the truth. Paul says in Romans 8, by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been set free. That law, that bondage to sin, we use that. We say, thou shalt not do this, you know, the Ten Commandment kind of things. And so we make up a big list of things we should not do. And we try to use them like band-aids on sin to keep us and others from sinning, but it never works. I have a good friend who struggles with being exposed to the sun, and so he gets these dark spots that can turn into skin cancer. And periodically when I see him, he'll have this spot here or here or here or here or in his arms that has been burned out by a surgical or an ice cold or a heat procedure, and then it's gone. In other words, it's deep enough that it takes care and actually heals the problem. But let's suppose my friend decided that he wasn't going to go for the deep healing of that procedure. But if he could just cover that, and it was hidden, that it'll be okay. And so this spot pops up and gets darker and darker. And so he, when it gets dark enough, it bothers him, concerns him. Instead of going to the doctor, he just puts a Band-Aid on it. And then he puts a Band-Aid on it. Now, he has a real problem with those dark spots showing up when he's out in the sun. And it, 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 he would have to put on probably 20 Band-Aids on the left arm, 20 on the right arm, 50 on his neck. You know, three or four on his nose, several on his cheek and his, and his forehead. Every day, my friend would have to put on probably a hundred band-aids before he goes out in the public so he could cover that and say, I have no problem with skin cancer. He, if he came into our worship service today, every person here would, if you're being gracious, would kind of pretend it's not there and then when he's not looking, they would go, whoa. What is wrong with that guy? Does he have some Band-Aid fetish or what's wrong? Does, you, we would not be able to get past that. But we do the same thing in our Christian lives. We put a Band-Aid on cancer instead of experiencing His grace. You see, we're not trying to become children of God. We already are. When we've given our life to Jesus Christ, it's like the person who is born again saying, I'm an alcoholic. And I say, how long have you been sober? Here are the answers I get often. 10 years, 12 years, 15, 20, 27 years sober. Here's what I say. Instead of describing ourselves as an alcoholic or whatever sin, whatever struggle it is, when we've given our life to Jesus Christ, why do we not say, I am a child of God, yes, I have and can have a problem with alcohol, but I am a child of God. Let's say about ourselves what God says about us. This man was paralyzed because there was sin in his life. And so Jesus forgave his sins, then he healed him, but it had nothing to do with his effort toward God God didn't just simply put a band-aid on the sin. Let's look at it. Verse 2 of Matthew 9 gives us three things that God did toward him. The man did nothing toward God. (coughs) Excuse me. First, Jesus initiated this. He said, take heart. 
Now, what's the first thing that happens when you sin, when you're a believer? You lose heart. You get disheartened. Jesus said, take heart. It's not over. I'll give you a new beginning. Second thing he said to him was, son. He said, take heart, son. Son is a word of honor. It's a word of acceptance. It's a word of love. It's a word that shows there's inheritance. There's something to come in the future. Our grandson Isaiah was here for three or four days with us last weekend. And one of the days we were doing something around the house. And you know how a three-year-old is. They just come out with this wisdom from nowhere, it seems. And Isaiah looked up at me and he said, You're my granddaddy. That's my title. You're my granddaddy. I'm your son. I thought, well, I don't know where that came from, but he's got it right. I said, you're exactly right. You're my grandson. See, he understood. He wasn't having to do anything to earn. He's establishing relationship, and he was just cementing and reminding himself of that relationship. That's what Jesus did for this man. He said, son, before he even forgave his sins. Then the next thing he does is he says to him, your sins are forgiven. That word in the New Testament, the Greek word in the New Testament, forgiven, means to send away or to release from obligation or to completely pay the debt or to pardon, to forgive someone's faults or debts. It's a complete word. And each one of us needs our sins forgiven. And that forgiveness of sin in this picture and in our picture is from God to us. Remember last week, Pastor Charlie gave the picture of our sins being separated from us. As far as the east is from the west, you can travel east all of your life and never arrive at west. Never be going west. You can travel west all of your life and never be going east. That's how far he separates our sins from us. That's what Jesus did for this man. From God to this man. That's the direction of grace. Let's look at verse 6 for three more reminders of why grace is, of how grace is from God to us. In verse 6, he says, So you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, go home. Three things he said to him. Rise, get up. When sin enters, it destroys us. It cripples us with its words or actions. And what we often want to do, even as Christians, is to kind of just lay down and have a pity party. But God says, get up. Now, he gives us the power to get up, but he told him, it's from God to that man, get up. Then he said, take up your bed or your mat or that uh, pad you've been laying on. Here's what he really says. I want you to start carrying what has been carrying you. You get that picture? Now, suppose the man says, well, it's heavy. I don't know if I can carry that. Listen, when it comes to our sins, some people will say, well, you've made your bed, now you lie in it. Here's what Jesus says. You may have made your bed, but you don't have to lie in it. Get up and carry what once held you down. And His grace carries us. And so when we carry what held us down, we don't have to carry the weight of it. He's carrying it for us. It's no longer that heavy. His grace picks us up and carries us. The last thing Jesus said to the man is, go home. He didn't say, go to church. He said, go home. You know why? Because that man needed to tell everybody back home what had happened to him. I'm sure when he showed up carrying that mat that they would know something happened. And they're going to ask, and he's going to need to tell them. So Jesus sends him back home. That brings us to the final point, the third thing. When I walk in God's grace, 
It will transform my life, and it will transform the lives of those around me. You see, this man was transformed. He had a new life. Everything about his life was changed. He was not only healed where he could walk, he was forgiven so he could walk in spiritual freedom. Ephesians 2 gives us a picture of this. But God, being rich in mercy, verse 4 says, because of the great love with which he has loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. In other words, we were not wonderful. We were not all nice. We were not all cleaned up. We were dead spiritually in our sins. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Even for the Christian, it says this, Romans 12, verse 1 and verse 2 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's the picture for the, for the Christian. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, be transformed. He says, we can be transformed. So when I walk in God's grace, I'll be transformed. But guess what else? It'll transform the lives of those around me. Look what Jesus did to the man. He said, go home. He sent him home because that man needed to realize that the people back home needed to know the truth he had just learned. And if he would go home, they would see the truth in action, and they would begin to desire that kind of freedom in their own lives. Verse 7 says this, He rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. In Luke, the telling of that same part says this, Immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Now, we don't have a record of how the people back home responded, but we do have a record of how the people there responded. They were amazed. They glorified God. A story from our church family here. I have permission to share this story. Young man named Jacob Fletcher in our church. Uh, his father is Pastor Chad Fletcher. His mom is Stephanie Fletcher. Jacob Fletcher knows Jesus. He walks in God's grace. He happens to play baseball with a young man named Austin Evans. Last year, uh, over a year ago, I think it was, that he, because he was walking in grace, the impact of his life touched Austin Evans' life. He invited Austin to come to youth group and to church. Austin accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Austin told his family. Austin said, I want to be baptized. He was baptized here in our church last year. It so happens that Pastor Chad and Stephanie Fletcher also kind of attended a lot of these baseball games too. And so their friendship uh, with uh, Mike and Christy Evans uh, began to flourish. Last month in the journey, Mike Evans told me this story because he was filling out the membership commitment form and it says, my life before I came to know Jesus and when I came to know Jesus Christ. And he said, I want to talk to you about that piece. And so he told me this story. And he said, Jacob Fletcher and Stephanie Fletcher especially, both of them have shown us what it means to know Jesus for our lives to be changed and what Jesus is like. What he was saying is, Jacob and Stephanie Fletcher have 
walked in God's grace. We have seen it, and we want that. Christy, a few months ago, after one of our worship services, talked with a prayer partner, and she prayed and asked Jesus Christ into her life. When I asked Mike about that, when I shared with him what it, how to repent, to be born again, he said, I did that at the end of one of the services when Pastor Charlie said, if you want Jesus Christ in your life, you can pray. He said, I did that about three weeks ago. Last Wednesday night, I was here in the evening when First Steps, when Stacy's First Steps class got out. There were a bunch of kids and a bunch of parents coming out of the Welcome Center. And Christy walked over to me, and here's nine-year-old Dakota. And she has accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior, just gone through First Steps class. Mike, Christy, nine-year-old Dakota, Austin's already been baptized, accepted Christ. They've all accepted Jesus, and later this month, as a family, they're being baptized. Listen, that's what walking in God's grace will do. It will change you, because walking in grace it has radically changed Jacob Fletcher's life. Walking in grace has radically changed Stephanie Fletcher's life. A life. But Mike Evans told me that those two people, especially, there are a bunch of other people from our church that have touched them, but he said to me, those two people, God has used to make a radical difference in my family's life and in my life. Walking in grace will make a difference in your life, and it'll make a difference in other people's lives. Maybe today you want to walk in God's grace for the first time ever. Or maybe you have been born again, and you've been believing some stuff that has kept you in bondage. Here's what I want to ask you to do. You just focus on God, close out everything and everyone else. I'm going to read a prayer of confession before God. And if that prayer fits you, then silently you just join me in praying it. And as Christians, there may be some of the parts of this prayer that fit you. I'll read it. You just silently decide what God's saying to you. Lord Jesus, I agree with your word that everybody has sinned. In fact, I have sinned. I confess the sin of not believing in your finished work on the cross as the Father's forgiveness of my sin. <coughs> I confess the sin of blaming and condemning myself because I could not change. I confess the sin of believing I could never change. I confess that I have walked in guilt and self-condemnation instead of relying fully on the finished work of Christ to cleanse me. Today, I receive your forgiveness completely. I come to your throne of grace and I receive your mercy. I receive the fullness of the cleansing blood of Jesus to remove the guilt and stain of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you really meant that? Welcome to the family. If you're already in the family and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and there were some parts of that about walking in condemnation or, or not receiving all of God's grace, uh, welcome to freedom. God's grace is what every one of us need.